Better Call Saul's season two finale is over, but we are just getting started here on the Better Call Saul post show recap. And now here are the two guys who did not get a note, which told them don't. I'm Rob Sesterino. Here's Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how are you? I'm good, Rob, but to be fair, I have gotten that note before, just not for tonight. Yes, okay, good, good. (laughs) Happy to hear, Antonia. We have just watched the season two finale of Better Call Saul, and here we are to talk about it now. Antonio, oh my God. Rob, oh my God. That was it. That was it. That's it. Are are we (laughs) recording? Are you recording me right now, Rob? Yes. Okay, yes. just checking. I, I, I want to make sure that we're clear because, you know, when one party records the other party without the other one knowing it, we have a real problem. And so I just wanted to make sure that, you know, you and I knew that we were recording each other. If I was going to confess anything, Rob, I just want to make sure right. it's clear. Yeah. And from what I read on Reddit in New Mexico, that's actually not as big of a problem as it is in other states. Yeah, I think it's a one party state. Uh, So as long as one party knows the recording's going down, it's a party. It's a recording party. Yeah. So this is a full blown recording party right now. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody throw your earbuds in the bowl by the door. Yep. So we are getting ready to talk about the season two finale, which I think was a bit polarizing. I think that I've read some people on Twitter saying uh, what gives this was not that great. I've read reviews that say that this episode perfectly captured the essence uh the the uh yeah what's the right french word for this the uh certain like i don't know what the the uh yeah <laughs> is that I what you're looking for gonna try to find, i'm sure there's some french phrase that i could try to you know make myself sound smart but i don't know off the top of my head so uh i could stand down but it wouldn't be worth it because uh that's uh, not what we're gonna do here tonight we're, yeah, right I, th- I think you're looking for like je ne sais quoi yeah is something that, is like that, that. that a, yeah that's the something i don't know like why that. it's like the inexpressible like there's something about the it. essence yeah. yes. of better call saul this was captured perfectly in this episode so we'll talk about it what was your take on this antonio i think it's the je ne sais quoi for sure of better call saul for better and worse and i think that we've talked about both angles of that Throughout the course of this season, I think that the better part of it is that you have this great riveting character drama between Jimmy and Chuck. It's Shakespearean in nature. It's brother against brother. Who knows what the original slight was? We don't know what caused Chuck's condition to come on. We don't know what happened with Rebecca. We don't know where it started. But man, we see it in full force. And now we're seeing throughout the context of their relationship, whether it's with their father's death, their mother's death, everything that happens between the two of them is just this great tragedy of back and forth. I mean, it's the stuff of Russian literature, Rob. But then the other part of the show is Mike being like breaking bad level Mike, like Batman Mike, private detective Mike, running capers, getting ready to kill people, interacting with the greatest villains in Breaking Bad. This is the show that I think a lot of people want to see. And so it's really tough, I think, Better Call Saul, serving many masters. And as a result, you have things that that are polarizing because for the people who like the riveting character drama and who like the sort of Shakespearean or um, Dostoevsky and whatever you want to call it kind of drama between Jimmy and Chuck. Fantastic. For people who want more of the Mike stuff. I think they're kind of feeling like this is a lot of half measures and it's kind of half boiled and not really fully being uh, what they want the show to be. So it is. As you point out, the French, whatever it is, it is, this is the essence of Better Call Saul. So this finale, I think, is very much the essence of Better Call Saul for better and worse. Yeah. All right. So, Antonio, of course, uh, we're going to talk about this. And if you guys want it, I'll do a Better Call Saul feedback show on season two uh, to give you guys more of an opportunity to weigh in on what you guys have to say. Uh, if Antonio, if you're up for that. Of course I am, Rob. Are okay. you kidding me? Well, we, listen, I do, I'm going to start doing it in my head as soon as this podcast is over. So yeah. we're good to go. Because I think more and more stuff will come out after this. Again, we're recording this about 20 minutes after the episode aired. Uh, so you guys have this for Tuesday after the Better Call Saul finale aired. But I'm sure that there will be more and more news and interviews and stuff that gets done and more and more information that we could piece together. But uh, so many different things to uh, discuss from this finale. But I have to say... I think I was probably a little let down by it because I really felt like coming out of episode nine, which you and I both said last week, I thought was the best episode of the series. I thought that we were going to be going into a crescendo 
in episode 10 and i feel like that it did not exactly deliver on that and again it's a case of where i always say keep the expectations low had high expectations coming in tonight ended up i think disappointed yeah i think that that's pretty much where i'm at in in many respects i think it was good to see a lot of the things we wanted to see in this finale the moral choices jimmy has to make the airing of the commercial in the hospital so that it's bittersweet. I think we even get the great kind of admission with Jimmy and Chuck that happens at the end. All of that was fantastic, but there's no way to view this in light of what happened in episode nine and in light of kind of the forward motion of the season and the series as anything but a little bit of a a kind of soft boil. Now, what I will say is that I think in in sequence, as we continue to watch the series of Better Call Saul, I don't know that it'll be a huge letdown. We watch TV differently nowadays. And for those people watching live, I think the experience will be much different than for the people who catch up on Better Call Saul and who can go right into season three after they've watched this. I think for them, not nearly as big of a letdown. And if if Better Call Saul is guilty of anything in terms of a failing, it's building up our expectations. So really anything the show is disappointing on, it's only disappointing because they've done a really good job of setting these things up. And the question I think we're all asking ourselves is, when are some of these things going to start to pay off? This happens a lot with TV shows, Rob. As you know, this happened with Lost. It happens with other shows. When you don't really have an end date, I think Walking Dead is experiencing a lot of the same stuff. I think you find people sort of repeating cycles and not advancing the story far enough. With Breaking Bad, that was never the route they took. They just sort of uh, were firing a kind of a a train that was running off the track, uh, whether it was being hijacked or not. And bad things were happening that really the story itself did not lend itself and would not let them write more seasons than they really put out. With this show, because the story is centered around Jimmy and Chuck and everything that's going on with them and Jimmy and Kim... Uh, they, they're going to take their sweet time and they're going to do that as long as AMC wants them to try to keep it going. And I think that's the frustrating part is you end up with finales like this. As I said, in the long term, it'll be fine. In the short term, I think it is frustrating for some who are watching week to week. All right. Talk this through with me. At what point did Chuck come up with the idea to out slipping Jimmy, slipping Jimmy? Yeah, that's great, right? Like this is Chuck is is running a con that is that is God level. That is as high as anything that Jimmy would do. He's building a freaking Faraday cage in his house, looking like a complete insane person. He's crying on cue. Uh, he's doing these sorts of crazy things that even convince Jimmy that his guard is fully let down and that he needs sympathy. When though did he decide to just when he hit his head at the copy store? Was that part of this? Yeah, I think the question is, when the doctor says it's a self-induced kind of catatonic thing, the question is, is whatever's going on there, is he formulating his plan, sitting there in the hospital where nobody's talking to him, where he can kind of be quiet, or is it after he wakes up and he gets home? Because what we see is as soon as Jimmy leaves, Rob, as soon as Jimmy leaves, Chuck puts on the space blanket, he goes out into the garage. At that point, I was wondering, is Chuck going to kill himself? Like, what's happening in this garage? I start to see his appliances sitting around. And in my notes, I wrote, what is he looking for? So it's clear, as soon as he got home from the hospital with Jimmy, he was ready to get this plan in motion. I think he picks up the recording devices in that garage at that point, and he gets the plan in motion. So that was the, that was, it was for sure happening then. Did it happen before when he was catatonic in the hospital? I think that's a question you can ask yourself, but clearly as soon as Jimmy brought him home, he was ready to do this. Sure. He was ready to do that. But was there a point before that when he was going into the CAT scan? Was he already thinking this? Like how far back is he playing Jimmy? Is it even to, from the beginning of the series? I mean, how far back do we want to say that Chuck was willing to go through this charade to play Jimmy? Yeah, I don't think it's all the way back to the beginning of the series. I do think Chuck has sensitivity to electric electric stuff, and I think that that's very real. I think there's plenty of times where Chuck couldn't have faked that, and I think that it is emotional, it is mental, it's a condition that's not physical, but I think that's a real condition. I do think he probably shorted out in that CAT scan machine, and just like before when he was tased, he came out of it, and the doctor was right to predict that. And I think when he comes out of it, he's ready to burn Jimmy. I think one of the key 
things to think about with that is Chuck is saying to Jimmy at that point, are you going to send me to an insane asylum in Las Cruces? What's going to happen now? And Jimmy says, no, temporary. It's an emergency only. It's a temporary thing. I'm going to drop the guardianship. I'm taking you home. And I think at that point, Chuck recognizes that Jimmy has a weakness for being nice to Chuck. And that is absolutely what Chuck takes advantage of when he gets back home and sets up the recording and sets up the con. So I don't think it's until Chuck recognizes that weakness of Jimmy actually being good to Chuck that Chuck recognizes he can take advantage of this. Remember, Rob, that Jimmy has encouraged Chuck throughout the season to get dirty, to get down in the mud and play dirty with him to play by his rules. Jimmy brought this on. And I think once Jimmy made his weakness clear, Chuck, when he woke up in that hospital, decided to exploit it. Yeah, I think that that is what makes this episode really worth another viewing where I think I really want to go back and see where is Chuck really like, where does that light bulb come on for him? Uh, no electricity puns necessary. <laughs> uh, but where where does he get that sort of like, oh, with that eureka moment of, oh, OK, I can get Jimmy to confess uh, to doing everything that he did. Uh, Antonio, was it too on the nose for you, though, that it was a tape recorder where he gets Jimmy to confess and then he was running a tape recorder? Did you feel like that was a little bit that you saw that coming? Oh, yeah. I mean, I it's all over my notes. And I know other people uh, have, have already commented that they kind of felt like that was going to happen. That's not a bad thing, I think, for it to be on the nose because it's the audience is in suspense you have to kind of make the audience feel like something is happening. Like, wait a minute. Why don't I feel right about this? What's what he's saying? Basically, you just confess to a felony. And then Jimmy ominously says your word against mine. All of that is the audience at that point should be expecting to see that tape recorder so that when they see it, it's not a huge like, oh, my God, where did that come from? I can't believe that that's out of left field. It's more of a, oh, that's what I dreaded. It really takes advantage of the dread that they build up by showing it coming a mile away. It's more of a train barreling down the tracks at Jimmy that he can't get out of the way of. Uh, and we know the train is coming and he doesn't. I think there's just as much suspense. It's just dread. And it's that's what I was filled with during that scene. Dread. Every time Jimmy spoke, more dread. And then, of course, there's a tape recorder. So where does this end up going next season? Do, is this something that we're going to see Jimmy on trial for in season three? Well, that's the frustrating part for me, Rob. I got to say, uh, that's the part where I'm a little let down. And that... That's because this show has to do service to a character who existed in the Breaking Bad universe, in Jimmy McGill, in, in Saul Goodman. We know Saul Goodman is an attorney. Uh, he is a legal practicing attorney. Uh, he says he changed his name to take advantage and sound more Jewish, which is uh, clearly racist. Uh, but he does that and says that in Breaking Bad, and that's fine. But we don't know. It's Now it seems like maybe the, the, the name changes, what Chuck's going to win out of this, or maybe he's going to change his name to get around whatever penalty he's assessed as a part of what's happening with Chuck. If Chuck is really wanting to be dirty about this and where this could actually have a lot more heft, since we know Jimmy is still an attorney in Breaking Bad, is I think what what can he do to manipulate this to really put a put a wedge between Jimmy and Kim? And I think the answer to that is I'm not sure because... Kim already knows. She really does know that Jimmy did that. And she knows why. She's the one who said, go cover your tracks while they were laying in bed last episode. So she knows. She knows he did it. And she knows why he did it. And she's okay with it. The question is, once Chuck plays that for her, what level of culpability does she have? Does she have to report it to the bar? Is Chuck going to go that route? Is Chuck going to drive a wedge between the two of them and really get at Jimmy? Or does he just not want him to be a lawyer? And I think that, that that's where the drama is. And for me, Rob, frankly, except for the Kim stuff, that's really not all that dramatic. Yeah. I also feel like that the Kim stuff was very underserved in the finale. I mean, it yes. was such a big storyline. She was pretty much in one scene tonight. Yeah, and just you just really just kind of glowing at Jimmy's commercial, not much else. And I think that that's really pretty frustrating. Uh, when she wasn't glowing at Jimmy's commercial, she was acting uh, as the receptionist at their law office for Jimmy's clients. So both of those things are not great, uh, and they're they're really not servicing. And, I, and I'm I'm sure that that it, it's a criticism that is fair uh, that the the finale just didn't really have time for Kim uh, and the story with Kim and Jimmy. Uh, and I understand what's going on there. The bigger story will become if Chuck tries to do something uh, against that relationship with this tape, 
uh, then the Kim and Jimmy drama is is back. But again, I just don't see and not not only that, but he's admitting at the end that the reason that he did it was for her and that she deserved it. It's a great defense of Kim at the end of of his his rant that he his confession. So I just don't see how it ultimately hurts Jimmy and Kim. And so I don't really know. Like, I, I just don't feel like at the end of this season, we arced out their relationship. We made progress in their relationship. She came to be okay with a lot of what he was doing. We found out that he was probably pretty bad for her. He, he ripped her away from HHM ultimately and helped her kind of get out of that situation that maybe wasn't going to work out so poorly for her. But at the end of the day, there isn't really a, a button on that. And again, once you've got season three in front of you and you can just go right into season three from season two, I don't think that plays poorly at all. I think that's great. When you end the season that way, I think we have to look back and we'll say, I don't know. So you're right. This finale did really underservice Jimmy and Kim for sure. Uh, to be fair, she was also in the scene where Jimmy is meeting with all the old people and she says, right. oh, Howard's on the phone. And he's like, oh, my, you know, my assistant will get you coffee. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, right. that's not right. It's like that's the only. So her roles are fawning over Jimmy's commercial, which was beautifully shot. And the way that scene played out was fantastic. And then posing as Jimmy's assistant for his clients. Not a great finale for Kim, Rob. No, no. Underserved Kim in the finale. So <laughs> but let's go back to the Chuck and Jimmy stuff. And we had a flashback at the start of the episode and they did a good job of making you think, OK, here's Jimmy. He's in the hospital waiting to see Chuck. But then, you know, a person is blocking Chuck and then you see, OK, Chuck is also at the hospital. And I said, OK, well, who's in the hospital bed? And I thought, OK, oh, is this Rebecca? Are we going to finally get the Rebecca backstory? And no, we didn't get any sort of update on that. We see Jimmy and Chuck in the hospital waiting for their mom, who ultimately is going to pass away in this scene. And we saw Chuck have the final moments uh, with mom, who's looking for Jimmy. Why was this flashback in this episode, Antonio? Yeah, it's Mama McGill. And I think that the flashback is there in part because of the swerve, but... Again, I don't know why it's in this episode, but look, let's let's talk about some of our historic Chuck and Jimmy flashbacks. We have Chuck coming to the jail to bail out Jimmy when the Chicago sunroof has happened. We have the dinner with uh, with Rebecca. We have Jimmy revealing to Chuck that he passed the bar and all of that playing out. So we have some of these things between the two of them already. This is another signpost in their relationship. The moment when their mother passed away. Great character stuff in in that she asks for Jimmy. That's really tough because Chuck is the older brother, probably the nicer or better person. And yet Jimmy seems to be more beloved by both parents. The father wouldn't hear about how Jimmy might have done something against the business. And the mother is asking for Jimmy with her final breath. And that's huge for Chuck, because as we ask ourselves, why does Chuck hate Jimmy so much? Why is he so against Jimmy? These are the big moments that explain that. And so in that regard, I, I don't know why it was in this episode per se, but I do think it's a major milestone moment in their relationship. Not to mention Jimmy's not there because he just didn't want to be there. Uh, now he was trying to do something good, allegedly go get them some food, whatever, but he really just didn't feel like being in the room at that time. And so it's, again, one of those things where Jimmy's not there when it really counts. And here's Chuck. And what does Chuck get for it? Jimmy's name thrown right in his face. And I think that when we look back at why Chuck doesn't like Jimmy, this is a major deal. Now, was it partially because Jimmy got up to go get sandwiches and Chuck feels like, hey, I was never going to leave my mother's side while she was on her deathbed. Jimmy is so selfish. He only wants is a sandwich. He got up and she's asking for him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I think it depends on how you want to read it. The great Scott St. Pierre had emailed in uh, to BCS at postshowrecaps.com. Like extremely great Scott St. Pierre. Scott has has really just, I, I mean, they're extremely doesn't even begin to modify her up. So that's right. Scott's the man. Scott is the man. And Scott helps us get these podcasts up. Not just these, but really every podcast we do. Uh, Scott is crushing it. So Scott wanted to know, isn't the opening sequence evidence that Chuck is a self-absorbed a-hole? 
Yeah, uh, he didn't. He didn't use the a hole. Scott's an adult, so Scott used the full word. Uh, but I will say uh, that's one read on it, right? That that Chuck is self absorbed. That he's only concerned about things as they re- as they relate to him, and he sees things through his lens. On the other side, you have what you're saying, which is that. I think that you could very fairly say in that moment that mom needed you most. You could have comforted her as she exited this world. You weren't there and you weren't there just because you didn't feel like being there. Uh, and that's really hard to accept. I wasn't going to leave. You were. And there we are. And you can now, if you want to say, why does it fit in this episode? Juxtapose that to the fact that Jimmy is waiting by Chuck's bedside when he comes out of his catatonic state. He is there in that moment. Uh, And maybe that's, like I said, that's the genesis of Chuck saying, I can take advantage of that. I can take advantage of his loyalty to me uh, and use it to my advantage. So I think that that's that's an interesting kind of comparison there, that Jimmy wasn't there when his mom needed him, uh, and she was there when, or he was there when Chuck needed him. But I think that he was there when Chuck needed him because he put him there, and I think that's the big difference. You know, my read on it was a little bit different. I felt like that when you saw Jimmy come back, and said, hey, what happened? Did mom say anything? Was she awake? Which I think is sort of a, a you know, I feel like that that's kind of a weird uh, thing to say when, oh, she, you know, she's gone. Uh, did she wake up? Did she say anything? Uh, I feel like it's a little bit of a weird uh, comment to to ask. But it turns out that she did wake up. She did say something uh, right before she went. And I don't know how common that is. I feel like it's pretty yeah, I think it's. Do you know when? Do you know Antonio? That that seems like um, that sort of like moment of like clarity of like to be uh, speaking out final words before going into some sort of a cardiac arrest. Uh, usually, when I see people die, Rob, they are saying a few words, right? Okay, I don't know. I, I don't. Know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. So uh, I did feel like that. That was sort of almost like uh, maybe I'm thinking too much back from OJ, where OJ didn't ask. Uh, how did Nicole die on the People versus O.J. Simpson? Uh, and they felt like that that was weird. But uh, I'm so I'm I'm losing again. It's it's I'm on the East Coast. I'm usually not not up this late talking about the show, Antonio. This is my time, Rob. Yeah, These are my witching so, hours. Party with me. So that being said, all I'm trying to say is that for Jimmy, that we he we, he was lied to point blank by Chuck. And maybe that was a window into what Chuck is capable of in this episode. Yeah, I think that I think you're right. I think there is also another link there. When you talk about a rewatch, rewatch the episode from Chuck's perspective and rewatch the kind of things that we know about Chuck in this episode. Like you're saying that he's capable of denying Jimmy that that sort of thing that Jimmy would carry with him the rest of his life. Uh, But you could also look at that. I mean, Scott wants to say self-absorbed. Look at it from another perspective. Let's say Chuck tells Jimmy, yeah, she asked for you and you weren't there. How horrible does Jimmy feel about that? Like, that's the kind of thing that you will carry with you the rest of your life. In her dying breath, mom wanted to know where you were. She was asking for you and you weren't there. That would make me feel pretty terrible, Rob. If I knew that about my mother and, and, and I was in that situation, I would carry that guilt around with me for sure. Just because I wanted some Portillo's, a hot beef sandwich, like forget it. And so I don't know, like maybe Chuck is actually doing Jimmy a favor in that moment and not being self-absorbed and not being awful and not being mean. He's actually protecting Jimmy from the guilt that would develop over the fact that her, his mom asked for Jimmy and Jimmy wasn't there. I don't know. I think that's giving Chuck a lot of credit. I don't it think is. that's, I don't think that's necessarily the juxtaposition that they're looking to show us here on the episode where we see Chuck pull off the, you know, crappiest thing that he's going to do to Jimmy in the entire two seasons of this show. I mean, we go to the opening credits on, did she wake up? Did she say anything? And him just saying, no, no. And telling him that lie in that moment. And I think that, I think that we're getting a little bit of a, of a window into what Chuck is capable of. Yeah. To be fair in my notes, I wrote Jimmy running back with the sandwiches. Did she wake up? Did she say anything? Chuck says, no. And then I wrote F Chuck. So I wasn't happy with Chuck over to be fair. I'm just saying, I think that 
all of these actions, everything that, that these characters are doing can be perceived through a number of different lenses. Uh, when you take, you know, let, let's say you want to take it from a 10 foot view and then you want to take it from a thousand foot view and things are going to look different, uh, when you look at it differently. You, you know, it's really, and I think we see Mike doing that with the gun this episode and seeing the different points of view. So I think there is some of that there. I think we have to take a step back and ask ourselves and plot these things out. Chuck's wearing the wedding ring in this scene, for example. So we know at this point he's married to Rebecca. Is this before or after the dinner scene with Rebecca? Uh, where is that relationship at that point? Has Jimmy wronged Chuck in some other way that we don't yet know about that we'll find out later? Um, this is just a piece. And so I think we can take the piece for what it is right now, but we can also consider that as a piece of a puzzle that we're still putting together, which is the Jimmy and Chuck relationship, the backstory. Okay. The other major story tonight is everything that was going on with Mike, where Mike is going to go after Hector. He ends up getting the sniper rifle from Lawson. We see him playing with it. We know that he can hit the target from wherever he wants to do it, and he ultimately gets cold feet. Antonio, why does Mike not take the shot when he could? Yeah, uh, very valid question. It is Nacho that's standing in front of Hector there, and so... Does Mike not want to take out Nacho because he feels like Nacho hasn't done anything wrong, doesn't deserve to die? Uh, he doesn't really get the shot right away when Hector is moving and walking out. And I don't think that's when he get, gets cold feet. I think that gun and those bullets, I think it's pretty clear that he could have tried to shoot through Nacho ultimately and shoot at Hector, uh, but he doesn't do it. And why doesn't he do it? Why does he get cold feet? Very valid question, Rob. And again, this comes down to the fact that we're not getting much progress from Mike. We're seeing him get really close to the edge of the pool, dipping his feet in the water, maybe letting Tuco beat him up a little bit, uh, maybe taking some money for something with a stop stick, but he's not ultimately going all the way in terms of killing people. We know that's not who Mike is when we get to Breaking Bad. We know, in fact, Mike has a very opposite take on these sorts of things, that you have to go full measures. We've talked about that on the podcast. He's not doing that yet. And so when you ask why, why doesn't he do it? It's just because he's not there. We haven't seen him get there on this show yet. And really what he's doing with Hector is just because Hector threatened Kaylee. Uh, as Nacho points out, Hector's forgotten about Mike already. Uh, he's probably not even ever going to be on his radar again. So why is Mike carrying this thing around? And why isn't he willing to go all the way? Very valid questions. Uh, he's also stopped, Rob, by, by a horn, by the horn noise. Before he could even change his mind about killing somebody else or do something else, his car horn is going off with a stick. What do we make of that? Well, that's the question of the hour of who put the note on Mike's car, you know, and there's one answer that people seem to be coming to. Uh, I think it's a little bit of jumping to conclusions, but uh, Gus Fring, that's what people are saying. Yeah, Gus Fring, that's what people are saying. We talked about this on our our podcast last week that uh, all Reddit, the old source of all the mis I wish Reddit would really start getting into the JFK thing, Rob. I want them to find out who Jack uh, the Ripper solve was. it in... 12 minutes. Yes. Yeah, they really would. Look, look at this evidence. This is, I, I freeze framed the Zapruder film out of frame that no one ever noticed before. And here we have it. Yeah. I, they, somebody scrambled the episode titles. If you didn't listen to the end last week, they took the first letter of every episode title of this season as an anagram and they mixed them up and brought them back out and it spelled out Fring's back. Fring did not come back in this episode. We did not see Gus Fring. Now, whether or not that note represents a note that Gus left or someone working for Gus left is another question, I guess. Uh, Vince, Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold were, were making the rounds in the media today. By this point, while we're recording this tonight, Rob, they may have made it more clear. But mm -hmm. on the Rich Eisen show today, uh, Rich Eisen confronted them with the Reddit theory. And there was a lot of hemming and hawing. There was a lot of, well, our audience is very smart. And sometimes we wish they weren't as smart as they are. And we have a yeah. real problem burying things too far or not burying them far enough so that people can find them. And that's very tricky for us. Uh, and I don't want to set up expectations for people showing up. Maybe Gus's reach, you know, that character, maybe his reach is just really far and maybe, you know, maybe it's more overt than or more covert than overt. And so I think that what Vince Gilligan said on the show on the Rich Eisen show today is probably leading towards this being somehow related to Gus Frank. What I would say is, Rob, 
if people expect Gus Fring to show up in episode one of next season, which he well could, but if people expect it, I'm not sure what show they've been watching because that isn't necessarily the way this show always does business. Sometimes it does. Tuco shows up at the end of episode one in season one, Rob. But I think the show delays, pays, payoffs. It really takes its time getting there. I think that there's, there's, I don't, I just don't expect to see Gus right away in season three, but I think we could get to Gus by the end of season three. Yeah. To me, and, you know, it does seem like all the indications from Vince Gilligan and the showrunners are that, you know, the, the Gus Fring thing is happening. The anagram is legit. It's just, to me, it's annoying that, that's not happening on screen that it's happening in sort of off screen ancillary cues that we're supposed to be picking up on. So if you want to, you know, announce that Gus is back, I, I feel like we need to be seeing it on the show and not just like uh, deciphering clues and episode titles. Yeah. And it's on Reddit. Be- it's tough because what's going to drive this, this, the, the off season in Better Call Saul? People are going to be talking about, well, are we going to see Gus Fring or are we not? And I don't think that you, you sneak it out there so that this teaser is there and it really is a tease at this point. I don't think you tease without, without delivering. I think that's a very bad idea. And I hope that Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould have learned from that. But you're right. At the end of the day, it is still a tease. And it is a tease that relies on what's happening off screen and things that are going on on Reddit and people talking about Reddit, whether it ends up on Up Rocks or the Rich Eisen show or Hit Fix with Alan Sepinwall or the Hollywood Reporter or who knows how many other think pieces we're going to get before the beginning of next season, Rob. They're building buzz with stuff. You're right. That's not happening on screen. The note alone would have been great because we would have said, who left that note? That's enough to get people talking. Right. I don't think, I don't, I, I think they didn't necessarily plan for somebody to figure out that season title anagram thing as quickly as they did. And I think they're a little frustrated by that. If anything, I think they wanted that to be once Gus returns in season three, Somebody goes back and say and finds it then and says, wow, these guys are crazy. It's there if you were looking all along. They're planning their flags and we, we can find them afterwards. That's a lot of what they do. But and Fring's I not back. Fring's coming. He right, was not yeah. back. Well, that's too many letters, Rob. They didn't have that many episodes. Yeah. It's just <laughs> going to be annoying on Tuesday on up rocks or buzzfeed that there'll be the article posted on facebook a million times one fan solved the mystery of the better call Saul finale and it will blow your mind yeah i mean a lot of that's already happening rob and it is it is frustrating and i think that i if i had to read anything from that rich eisen show appearance from from and i don't want to talk too much about it because We're not, you know, that's not what we're here to talk about tonight. But if anybody goes and watches that, I think there's a little frustration on Vince Gilligan's part. I don't think they expected anybody to figure this out right away. Yeah, don't confirm it also. Why why does Vince Gilligan need to do uh, an appearance to talk about this? That's a very valid question. And I'm not sure why. I think that I think he was making an appearance to promote the finale and Eisen kind of kind of left hooked him. And he was a little bit unprepared to answer that. And that's a lot of what you see. And by the end of it, he's like, well, yeah, like, yeah, we're doing something with that. The other thing is don't necessarily do it with the episode titles because people are looking there. If you want to bury your secrets or clues, bury them someplace where people aren't necessarily looking. This series has already made it clear that they play around with the episode titles. So if you really don't want something to be found, you have to hide it less in plain sight, I think. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, why would Gus Fring give a tip off to Mike not to kill Hector. We did see him give a similar tip off to Hank to kill the cousins in season three of Breaking Bad. But why would why would Gus not want Hector dead here? Well, yeah, and it's a good question because with Hank's in Hank's case, it was almost like just get away. Like you have one minute. You, there people are coming to kill you. You have one minute. Go. And I'm not sure that he wanted Hank to kill them. And Hank just kind of took business into his own hands. In this instance, let's assume for a, mi- a moment that it is Gus Fring. Let's assume for a moment that Gus and Hector are competitors. If somebody randomly ends up dead here, and there's a, a gunshot from afar. 
I people Hector's probably going to assume that someone associated with Gus did it, and Hector's probably going to come at Gus in some way, shape, or form. So that action by Mike, who is just this kind of uh, interrupting third party who doesn't really intend to be there and who has nothing to do with Gus, is ultimately going to blow back on Gus. And so you could see why Gus would be like, don't do it. I don't want the blowback. Okay. I don't want to deal with that. Fine. I'll give you that. So hypothetically, Gus might not want Hector to be dead. How in the world does Gus know what Mike is up to? That's a very fair question. And I guess the question is who watches the Watchmen? Who watches the Watchers? And you have to assume that if Mike is sitting on the, the Salamanca business and he's kind of sitting across the street looking with his binoculars, if Gus has people watching the Salamanca business, they may have noticed Mike watching the Salamanca business. And then they're like, who is this guy? And they start to follow him. They start to figure out what's going on. There's also the object. There's also the little thing about the police report where Mike's incident with Tuco is probably public knowledge to a certain expect, to a certain respect. And so they might have been sitting on Mike from that incident just to be like, who got in a scuffle with Tuco Salamanca? Like, is this somebody we have to worry about? Is this somebody new on the street looking into that guy's background? What we know about Gus Fring, super meticulous, the kind of guy that really does do his homework uh, and doesn't necessarily reveal himself until he absolutely feels it's necessary to do so. And even then, I don't think you realize the complexity of what he's done before he lets himself be seen by somebody. So he's probably been watching Mike for a while. It just seems so implausible to me that Gus is lurking about in the desert, watching Mike, who's watching Hector, planting notes on cars. I mean, the man is not only running a huge drug empire, but also he is managing several fine chicken establishments. (laughs) Which is no small task, Rob, let's be honest. It's no small task. Yeah, you got You got to get the chicken right. You got to get the the operations going. It isn't just that. He's got a lot of business contacts going out there uh, all across the world, even Rob. So I don't know. It's a very valid question, and it, it 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 is meant to seem like the meth trade in New Mexico is the biggest business in the world uh, because you got to assume that the higher level the business, the more money there is in it, the more kind of this espionage that that goes on. Uh, people watching other people, people watching the moves setting up Google alerts, figuring out where people are, the moves people make, right. looking at their public comments. This is Gus Fring. If he's doing this, he's he, it may not be him. Like Ultimately, that note, I don't think Gus Fring is traipsing around in the desert. It's probably somebody like Victor, uh, the guy who uh, doesn't love box cutters, Rob. No. Uh, yeah, uh, stuff like that. It's probably one of his henchmen that we do know from Breaking Bad and probably not Gus in specific. But Gus, is he's got eyes in a lot of different places, for sure. All right. So Mike is going to potentially run into Gus Fring. Is there any way it's not Gus Fring? I think there's a little bit of way that it's not Gus Fring. I think that if it's not, I think that's a really difficult uh, thing to walk back for the show, especially with the Fring's back thing and with the, they, them kind of admitting that they're playing games with that a little bit. I, don't, I really don't think they should... Uh, set up the audience expectations like that. I think that's a bad idea. So I do think it is going to be the Gus Fring organization and ultimately Gus Fring that has had eyes on Mike. But if you wanted to speculate, could it be somebody else? The only other person that could have been involved somehow was Nacho. It wouldn't have been him that left the note because we know where he was. But it was a little odd, wasn't it, Rob, that he was blocking Hector directly from Mike's vantage point. He was standing right there when uh, when Mike needed to shoot and he wasn't moving. And so you do question whether whether Nacho was in on this. Uh, and if Nacho was in on it, did he have a second person kind of I thought about this. The the property is guarded by a gate. We saw that. So it could be that Nacho knew that the only real vantage anybody could get on Hector was right from that angle, that there was nobody anybody could come from the other side because the other side was blockaded or fenced in, that if somebody was going to get at them, it would have been from that spot. I'm not sure Nacho's that smart, so I really don't think it was him that was involved, and I think it was just a coincidence that he was standing there. I also don't think Nacho puts his life on the line and relies on Mike not shooting through him to get Hector. Although, after, yeah, although, go ahead. Nacho is the one guy who knows, oh, I know that you're the guy who won't kill anybody. That is true, but last episode, we also saw that Mike was ready to send the cops to Hector and not care about what happened with Nacho in that scenario. 
So I'm, I don't know if I'm putting my, my life on the line that the guy decides at that point that he's, he's, you know, I'm not going to risk that he might change his mind right then and decide to kill somebody. I really don't. Cause he's already shown he doesn't really care about me. So that's the tough part is I'm just not sure. Why does Nacho have enough skin in that game to care? Uh, it's not going to blow back on Nacho if Hector gets shot in that moment. So I really don't know. The, the only possibility is that Nacho is working with Gus in some capacity, and we just haven't seen that yet. And so that is, I, I suppose, a possibility. Uh, and that could, that, I'm intrigued to see if that plays out in season three for sure. Antonio, in hindsight, do you feel like the show did a bad job of getting Mike and Saul or Jimmy involved in each other's stories i think we saw them together on screen in any capacity together a total of what two maybe three times the entire season yeah not much uh, i mean see, isn't you know, this really two different shows that we watch combined into one it's frustrating i think so uh i think i think that that is i think that that's the the difficulty of better call saul for sure and I would say that that is, uh, that is something that people are trying to find any kind of connective ish- tissue between the two stories. We've talked about it on this podcast. Uh, people have tweeted at us about this and asked us, is there any kind of parallel? Brendan Fitzpatrick, uh, who is a great fan of post show recaps, tweeted and, and said, do you see a parallel between what Mike is doing against Hector and what Chuck is doing to Jimmy? Do you? I think, I think there's a little bit of that uh, going on, although I really don't see, I don't see it greatly. I, ultimately i see that that jimmy and and chuck or jimmy and and mike have really both kind of been dipping their their toes in the pool uh where that pool is who they will ultimately become by the final series i think that's the main similarity between the two of them is they're not fully formed they're in their cocoon still and they've yet to emerge uh in 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 a new fully formed state and we're seeing that evolution we're seeing that all take place that's the big similarity between the two of them I do think ultimately they're, and we've talked about this, how they're both circling the same drain. Eventually, Mike is a little closer to the drain in that respect in terms of the underworld. I think his undertow is going to pull Jimmy in. And so ultimately, I do think that that is the connection between the two of them. And I don't think they come greatly together until it's time for that to happen. And so that's that's the big thing for me is I think they're keeping them apart on purpose because they're both headed in the same direction. They're just not really in, in in they're orbiting the same thing, but not really on the same timeline. And I think that's tough. Antonio, why was the episode called Click K L I C K? I only I can only assume it has to do with the distances that are measured by the the gun that Mike is shooting. I I think the K is is there to to set up that damn anagram, Rob. Mm-hmm. And I I don't because I I mean I don't know where the the word click could could come in otherwise with a C. But I do think it's the military connection with the gun that Mike is shooting. Does it shoot a kilometer? I don't know. Uh, but it, it's clearly a long range weapon, and so probably could shoot a click. And that that's where it really comes in. And I think that. That is that's the only thing I could come up with. Did you have anything else? No, no. I thought maybe you might have had something. I wish. Yeah, I wish I had more than that. But I, I, I don't think it's forced by any stretch. I do think it has to do with that weapon. Uh, is there a connection to the Jimmy storyline? I don't particularly see it. There are the great noises throughout this episode. Not only, I mean, written and directed, by the way, by Vince Gilligan. The first time he's written and directed an episode of Better Call Saul since the premiere. Uh, of season one. So he's got his fingerprints all over this. It's beautifully shot throughout great sequence, harrowing, terrifying sequence of Chuck in the ER shot kind of upside down. It's like a, almost like a scanners type sci-fi scene and not mm. really, not really like a, a medical scene. I thought that was great. The, the, the noises between Jimmy and Chuck, you can hear the clock ticking. You can hear all these things. That's all great. But then Mike is sitting there, Rob. Did you, were you a little jarred by this? Mike is sitting there in the desert, very loud insect noises around Mike, buzzing, 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 like a, almost like a locust or a cicada noise. And then they just completely stop. And then he hears the car horn. And I, I don't know. I, I, that wasn't on accident. I'm wondering if they're, what they're getting at with that. If it's a Vietnam kind of thing with Mike, if, He's kind of caught up in the weeds in the jungle somewhere uh, in his mind when he's doing these sorts of things. I don't know if that's what they're going for, uh, but I was really kind of jarred by that. So I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah, I will take a look at that on the rewatch. 
Yeah, it's when he's lining up a shot. You hear the locust noises really loudly, and then they're just gone. And I, I mean, I, I live, uh, I live in the country. I hear these noises a lot. Uh, it could happen that way for sure. It's just very kind of jarring uh, in a show's sound mix for it to happen very specifically like that. Yeah, it's only. Do you think that with any of the Gus stuff is that there any possibility of like contract issue where? They wanted him, but they couldn't get uh, Giancarlo Esposito or anything like that. Sure. Uh, I think anything's possible. I think that uh, it's possible he doesn't want to be on the show. Like, we don't know. Then why don't you have to check in with Giancarlo Esposito before you start to write this storyline and mess with these anagrams? That, the anagram part especially, right? Like, that's the part I think is I mean, Doesn't he kind of have you over the barrel in terms of leverage at this point? Is Scott yeah. Boris his agent? Hopefully the contract's already signed, Rob. Uh, whether it's a Scott John Boris Carlo move. Esposito or Giancarlo Stanton? Boom. Yes, that's a good question. This is a, the, the don't in question there is don't go sign with the Yankees. Stay with the Marlins. Uh, the, you're the hero here. I don't know. This is a... This is a Strasbourgian kind of thing, Rob. There's definitely there's definitely negotiations here where one party does seem to have the other over a barrel. Uh, that said, you almost say that about him being on the show in general, not even at this point where they've telegraphed his appearance. But I think in general, like they, they want him on the show more than he necessarily needs to be on the show, I think. Although, I don't know. What's Giancarlo Esposito up to these days, Rob? Have you been seeing them in a lot of, uh, a lot of projects? No, I have not. But I do Me feel neither. like... I, I, if this is some sort of a contract issue, I have to think you work this out before you do the anagram. I agree. And I, I don't know. I, I, I assume that they know what's going on with season three. Like I said, I really think that they didn't think people were going to solve that that quickly. And I think that they're frustrated that it happened that way. And I think that more than anything, they wanted this to be figured out much later once Gus was already back. Uh, and because I don't, I just don't think you need, I think it's gilding the lily. I think that you don't need to add that level of hype for the summer. I think the question about who wrote the note is a much better and more organic way to do that than, than calling your shot, which is ultimately what they've ended up doing. And I think that that's frustrating because I, I think it's a much better thing to play off with word of mouth and audience buzz that this is happening. I, we've talked a little bit about this on this podcast, Rob. But they've, they're in very bad territory anytime they make people want something to happen quicker than they intend it to happen. Mm -hmm. Because that's where people are getting frustrated with this show. So the more they set that up, the more they tease it, the more they drag things out in response because they want to do it at their own pace uh, and not the pace that they're promising with the things that they've got. The more frustrated viewers of this show who like the Mike parts of the show better uh, become with the Jimmy and Chuck story. Okay. I think it was Huel who left the note. How did he get out of the safe house? He wasn't Rob? in the safe house yet. Oh, fair point. We're not in a time warp or anything. Yes. Yeah, he's, yeah. You see Huel lumbering around in the desert? Yes. I think Incognito. we would have seen more evidence. I, yeah. uh, well, what you didn't see is that on the other side of the note, it said, don't lock me in a safe house. <laughs> <laughs> he was just wearing a giant yeah. cactus suit in the background yes. of one of those. Yeah, that, I would love for that to be. the. Don't case. forget about me. I'm in the safe house ever. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget to come back and tell me everything's fine yes yeah. yes don't not let me out yeah so that would be great uh, i don't know that was a very hastily scrambled note rob so who knows and they picked up a branch that was the exact right length to make the horn go but not the horn's not loud enough to alert hector but it's loud enough to get mike this is all a very perfect improvised perfect caper. plan yes it really is okay. so it's got huel's fingertips all over it so what else from the finale, Antonio, before we get into some questions? Well, I don't know. Like I said, I just thought it was really beautifully shot. I, I, I don't, I, I we can't really talk about well that shot. Enough. This is, this is a very well-made show. Unquestionably the scene where Jimmy's commercial airs, where we knew it kind of, we thought it might play out that way. And, and where he sees it in the hospital, just the way they've set that up with two TVs, one in the foreground, one in the background of what's going on with Kim. And we see her sort of looking up, almost idolizing what's happening and smiling and saying, Jimmy, you made a great commercial. And the commercial was great. Uh, Gimme Jimmy is a great, it's not quite better call Saul, but it's Jimmy. very close. Gimme Jimmy. Uh, Story Sync wanted to know, Rob, what was our favorite Jimmy McGill ad so far? 
Was it matchbooks? Was it the Jello, the bingo cards? Was it the Jello cups? Was it the Hamlin billboard, which is my personal favorite because of how ridiculous Jimmy looks on that billboard? Or was it this commercial uh, or the Davison Maine commercial? But this was a great, this was a great thing. And clearly it worked. I mean, his waiting room looks like purgatory, but it is, uh, he's got clients there. So uh, mission accomplished, I guess, in that respect. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I thought it was beautifully shot, this whole finale. Um, and beautifully staged with lighting, with everything that was going on. I thought that that was really good. Rob, what'd you think of uh, Ernesto? What'd you think of Ernesto wishing he was back in the mailroom? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up story sync and I'm glad you brought up Ernesto because that leads me into the worst story sync moment of the night. My favorite segment. Yes. 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 Uh, Poll question tonight. Ernesto covering for Jimmy. You had two options. Holy crap. Or go Ernie. And one of them is in green and one of them is in red. As if to imply one of the answers is the go answer and one is the stop answer. And yet both of those are basically totally the same. Exactly the same. (laughs) What the hell is going on with the story? I thought story sync was particularly bad tonight. Yeah, there was not a lot there. And all the, like, there's a, there's a slide meter at the bottom of the screen, like, oh, uh, you know, amateur lawyer, better call Saul. How do you rate this? And some of the stuff you're asked to rate tonight, was it wasn't like that. It wasn't a level of call. I don't know. I think story stink. Uh, I'm sorry. Story sink struggles. That was actually an accident, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, it's just totally uh, just really Freudian at this point. But but yeah, I think story stink struggles sometimes to really bring the content. But that said, sometimes it does bring very helpful or memorable resets. Uh, that's the same doctor somehow, Rob, from the uh, season, season one, one Chuck incident yeah. with the taser. She's not going anywhere. Apparently, there's only one hospital to take Chuck, and she's going to be on shift no matter when they bring him in. So that works really well. I think that that's great that, that she's back, and she has a, a, a view of Chuck from you know from an outsider's perspective, from a health care professional's perspective, and she can see Chuck for what he is, which is a little bit of a fraud and a little bit of a crazy person. He's a little touched by this electricity stuff. And so I, I do like having that perspective and seeing her back. I'm trying to think if there's anything else from this episode. Anything else from you? Uh, I wonder about the old people under the rainbow. I feel like there had to have been some symbolism there. A little pot of gold for Jimmy. Yeah. And then they, <laughs> I want coffee, but no cream. No it's, cream. Just, uh, it's so ridiculous. These people that are lined up. Like I said, it's like purgatory's waiting room there. It's like the scene in Beetlejuice where they're just kind of sitting around and the detritus of the world has somehow washed up on Jimmy's shores. Uh, it's tough to watch, but those are Jimmy's clients. Those are his people. That's who he's there to help his elder care law profession. So that's what he gets. He very targeted commercial there, Rob. Yeah. That's and that's that's what he got. He got the gold at the end of that rainbow. Okay. Well, let's jump into some of the questions that we got from the listeners. Okay, I'm ready to do that. Okay. All right. Why don't we uh, check in with Jason Riotmaker? Uh, he wants to know: Is there any doubt it was Gus who left the note, or at least someone else who works for Gus? Give me the percent chance that it's somebody not affiliated with Gus Fring. Is it zero percent? I'd say it's like. 10 to 15 percent but i i it's it's near zero and it's trending downward (laughs) yeah yeah and it's just what annoys me about it's just that it's not from things that were seen on the show i just feel like if you were somebody who does not go on the internet about this show i think you're like boy i wonder who left mike the note it's like it's not clear at all that it's going to be gus fring and here we are just based completely on things that were not in the show that we feel like there there is a zero percent chance that it is not Gus Frank. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think that the frustrating part is that, as I said, I just don't think these guys are that are that tone deaf when it comes to their fan base. If anything, they know how to play games. And I just think they miscalculated a little bit here. I think they got found out before they really intended to be found out. I think they wanted this one to be found after the fact, after Gus gets back. Uh, and, and leak out, uh, and it was found before the finale. And I, I just don't think that that was their intent. So I, I'm going to give them a pass in that regard because I agree with you. The flip side of it means that they really did want to tease this out and for it to be found out before the finale. And all of that, it's gilding the lily of the valley, Rob. Like I said, it's like it doesn't necessarily need to be there. It's really overdoing it, and it causes the problems that you're talking about where it takes the steam out of the question. And I, I just don't think that's their intent. I think they were found out because they got too cute with it and underestimated the audience, and that's my belief. It really is. Okay. What other questions do we have, Antonio? 
Well, it, well let, me, let me add one more thing about that, because it just occurred to me. The Insider Podcasts for Better Call Saul are recorded a, mo- a month or two in advance of the airing of the episodes, most of the Whoa. time. Yes. So they're, you know, they're, they're recording them as they're wrapping the episode shooting or as they're doing post-production on the episode. So unless they, they re-record or unless it's recorded uh, much closer, like unless it's recorded after the finale airs, which has happened in the past with the, uh, with the insider podcast from this team, I think you can listen to that podcast. And if they're not heavily teasing Gus Fring, I think my theory has a little more water in it. Uh, I think that there's a little more weight to my theory, which is that they just, they got found out before they intended. If they're being a little coy and they're teasing on that podcast, then to me, that means they didn't intend to be found out before the end of the season. And this recording, which was recorded before they were found out could be evidence. That's That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We've got another question. This is from our buddy, Johnny D. Silvera. Uh, Johnny D. Silvera wants to know, uh, did you notice the word weasel on the screen after Jimmy's commercial went right into a garden weasel commercial? Oh boy, did I notice like that was, and that was not there on accident again. Like that is absolutely on purpose that a we- the word weasel pops right up as soon as this I didn't notice over. that. No, I didn't notice that. That's oh my gosh. When you see it the second time around, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. It is uh it's hard to miss. And it's uh once you know, it's there. Cause it's like, Oh, what's this? Oh, weasel. Like the word is right there in the TV. Uh, and it, it is, it, it really will jump out when you see it the second time. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's great. Like that, that's what I'm saying. That's the sort of thing that they do on this show normally uh, is that there's stuff going on in the background or when you're paying attention to things that you weren't paying attention to the first time, then you get to find things out or see things. And I, I just think that the, the, the stuff with Frings back does not, it's not really their style to have that play out the way it's playing out. So I, I really do think that they did not intend to be found out that quickly. Okay. Also, Johnny wants to know, Predictions for season three. I'm assuming Chuck is going to get Jimmy charged for what he did, or will he blackmail him? What does Chuck do with the tape, Antonio? I think that's a good question. Uh, and I don't, I, I actually don't have a fully formed opinion on that. I think there's a lot of discussion to be had about that. If we do the, uh, if we do the feedback show, I, w- I want to get back into where Chuck stands as a character at the end of this season. Because if you told me in the middle of the season or at the beginning of the season, that season three is going to involve Chuck heavily blackmailing Jimmy. I probably wouldn't have bought it. I probably would have said Chuck wouldn't do that. He's too good for that. He's too honorable. He's got his nose in the air about the law. He wouldn't break blackmail is a crime. He wouldn't break the law to, to get one over on his brother. I'm not sure about that now, Rob. And I think that's a, that's a testament to the effectiveness of the season that we did see that evolution in Chuck. And he's in a different place. Now, Jimmy's got to get a tape recorder and then run the tape recorder and ask Chuck about, are, are you blackmailing me with this tape? <laughs> He's like, yes. I mean, why do you keep asking me? Of course, I, I, obviously, I'm blackmailing you. Yeah, but I, I thought you were a, a, an honest lawyer that you're going to blackmail me. Well, you know, two could play at this game, Jimmy. Yeah, and then Chuck's recording that, and Chuck is it gets plays that for and gets Jimmy to admit that Jimmy's blackmailing Chuck. Uh, we could just go back and forth with this, Rob. We could have like a just a complete blackmail cycle back and circle forth. circle of life. The, the, yes, the, the blackmail circle of life. Yes. Okay. What other questions do we have, Antonio? Laura Maria Olson asks, "So do you guys really still think Jimmy is the problem? What kind of man doesn't tell his brother his mom's last words? Jimmy could have had him committed, and by all rights should have, considering the hospital thinks he's crazy and not physically sick. Then the whole quitting thing. Chuck is Rebecca, and that's a reference to Rebecca the movie that we talked about earlier this season. Uh, and so I guess my question is, Rob, where do you stand on this? Do you think that that Jimmy is still the problem, or is Chuck more in the wrong in their relationship?" Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I do think that Jimmy, in terms of a good guy or bad guy, he has done some uh, questionable things. But I do think that usually his intentions are pretty good in terms of what he's doing. You know, um, hmm. I do feel like the, the show really wanted you to be sympathetic towards Jimmy tonight. Yeah, I think that that's true. And I think that... Look, we've talked about this last episode when Kim gave that great monologue to Chuck about how, look, I, you made him this way. You constantly undermine him. You constantly keep him under your thumb. You don't want him to succeed. You treat him this way. And then you're surprised when he acts out. And that's Kim's point of view delivered to Chuck in that moment. 
we see a little bit of that tonight. We see that Chuck is sort of controlling Jimmy with the not telling of the last words. We see that scene there. So that continues to be the the perspective of Chuck that we're getting. But there's also just the matter of the, the, the fact that that Jimmy in this particular instance only makes that confession because he's trying to be good to Chuck. Mm -hmm. He didn't want Chuck to be that upset. He tried to do a thing to help Kim and because he thought Kim deserved it, which by the way, his motives in that case are not impure. Jimmy and Kim are already in a relationship. He's not doing this to court her or to woo her. He's already won her. She's in fact told him that you already have me. And so he doesn't need to do this to make that better. He's only doing it because he really thinks that she deserves it. And that's a good thing. What do they say? No good deed goes unpunished. Here we are. And again, Jimmy is trying to be good to Chuck in this moment. Chuck is taking advantage of that. Chuck knows that. He's playing up his craziness. He's crying and hemming and hawing and fake resigning to Howard and all of it so that Jimmy will come clean. He's making Jimmy feel guilty. And so again, Chuck is taking advantage of Jimmy just being a nice person and having a conscience. He's taking, he's taking advantage of Jimmy having a conscience while out of the other side of his mouth accusing Jimmy of not having a conscience. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any way to look at Chuck and say he's a good person. Yeah, but he feels like he has the moral high ground. Yeah, but that's the point. You can't speak out of both sides of your mouth in a contradictory way and then claim to have the moral high ground because you're contradicting even your own high points on the other side with your actions on the other. So it's very difficult to look at Chuck. He can think all he wants, but as far as what I think and what I think we're meant to think, I don't necessarily feel that way. I think Chuck is is in many ways a much more flawed character than Jimmy. Uh, And I just, I think that, for people that are frustrated with the show, for people that are like, why did we have this season? Nothing was accomplished. We, we got a lot of tweets. I mean, I know uh, Zach Brooks, post-show recaps on Zach Brooks and Brendan Fitzpatrick and others. Uh, we're upset about this finale, and I understand that. But I would say, let's look at the, the evolution of Chuck as a character. And if you, if you were to rewatch this season, that's the really interesting thing. Uh, and that still, to me, is the fascinating thing going forward. We had a long debate last week, Rob, about whether we were ready to be done with Chuck. And I think you were, and I wasn't. And I'm not ready to be done with Chuck because I want to know, how is Chuck so screwed up? Like, uh, why? how is Chuck so petulant and so arrogant and so dirty and so all of the things that Chuck is jealous? Where does this originate from? How can a person hate their brother this much that it plays out in the ways that it does. And yet they're so nominally close. They take care of each other in a lot of ways. So it's hard. I think it's fascinating. And I think better call Saul's doing really good work there. That's probably not getting enough credit because we all want to see what's happening with Mike. And we all want to see that story play out. All right, Antonio, any final thoughts on the finale? No, I, I mean, not really. I, I, I think we'll get into uh, some of the other questions that we've got. If you had any other questions, we didn't answer them. Or if this podcast has generated any more, please let us know. BCS at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, we can get into the longer season questions. We just wanted to make sure we got this reaction show up for you guys uh, as the finale aired. I don't really have any other thoughts that, that are that are short about the finale other than I thought it was beautifully shot. I thought the, as usual, better call Saul is really good at the things better call Saul is good at. And this was a showcase for them in many ways. I can understand the frustration and I definitely want to get into that more uh, as we talk about it on the feedback show. Anything else from you, Rob? No, I want to watch the finale again. I want to watch all of talking Saul. I saw the first couple of minutes of it. I'm already seeing on Reddit. A lot of people are talking about things that came up there and a lot of the Vince Gilligan sort of confirming the whole frings back thing. So I would like to just go ahead and get some more information and allow this all to uh, sink in and digest everything that we saw tonight. Yeah, and I think that's the best thing. Let's give it a couple of days, maybe a week or so. We'll look at everything. We'll we'll do all the legwork on it. We'll read the articles. We'll look at Reddit. We'll we'll view these other shows. We'll rewatch the finale. We'll do all that. Uh, and if you guys want to do the same and send your questions in, then we'll we'll do a feedback show where we analyze the season as a whole. Maybe make some predictions for season three uh, and look at what we might want or not want out of uh, our third season of Better Call Saul. Okay, Antonio, what's the hashtag? Oh my gosh, uh, shoot! I wrote one down at some point, but I'm not. Was it underserved Kim? I wrote down. Uh, what did, did you write anything down from a hashtag? No, I didn't write anything down, but underserved Kim sounds good. Yeah, it sounds like uh, like you had a bad meal at like a, like a, some kind of restaurant. Yeah. You got some underserved Kim. Or so. hashtag Fring's coming. Yeah. 
<laughs> Fring's here. Fring, yeah. Fring, is, Fring coming. is coming. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Fring is coming. Just like winter, Rob. Yes, just like Speaking winter. Speaking of winter is coming, what are you doing here at Post Show Recaps? Seven days of Road to Westeros. We're, just, we're on it. To set up the the premiere of Game of Thrones season six this upcoming Sunday on HBO, you're lucky enough, Rob, that you've already seen the premiere. I have. So jealous of you. You recorded these hot takes before you saw the premiere, just kind of resetting the major storylines of season uh, five of Game of Thrones six? and some before. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Reset season five. Set up season six. Yep. And so I. I I'm, I've already loved the the first episode. These are short 20 minute things, just setting up the seven major kind of things we're going to see in this. Yeah, season. By the so, time you guys are hearing this, it will be day three will be posted about King's Landing. What's going on there? I'm hype, Rob. I'm, I'm really excited for Game of Thrones and all the coverage you guys do uh, at, at post show recaps here. And Actually, they're to, calling it the season Fring's Landing. Fring's did they leave a note? I just that's hope they what the anagram was. Yeah. You always leave a note. So yes. hopefully that's the case, Rob. And I'm glad I'm glad that we were we knew both of us were being recorded tonight. I would be very dangerous if we didn't know. That could I would hate to have you blackmail me with some of this. I'm always worried Scott St. Pierre is creating a master reel of all the things that I've said and then asked to be edited out. And it's just Scott St. Pierre is gonna chuck me one of these times, Rob. Yeah, one day. One day. <laughs> he's, gonna, he's gonna chuck us all, Rob. Yeah. Okay, well that uh, <laughs> So please uh don't uh don't give him a motive of uh reason to do that please believe me i won't okay. all right all right all right how many parties uh recording is that that's that's it we're, we're two we're good to go rob all right well very much looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about the finale here on postshowrecaps.com antonio don't let this feedback show slip through the cracks I will not, Rob. I just wrote myself a note and I said, don't. Okay. So I know, I know what that means. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, we can, I know who wrote it. Good. Uh, I know too. We'll find out next season. <laughs> then, uh, we want to hear from you guys. Uh, the feedback line is BCS at postshowrecaps.com. Send us your emails. Send us your comments on postshowrecaps.com and don't miss anything that we're doing here on Poster Recaps. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes or search for Poster Recaps in your favorite podcatcher. You can follow Antonio on Twitter. He's at AC Mazzara with two Z's and one R. I'm at Rob Sestrino. Have a great night, everybody. Take care. Bye.